Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gustavsky here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello. How are you doing today? Great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. This is part two of our coverage of the 2023 Hot Docs International Film Festival. It is their 30th anniversary and uh, it's a strong, very strong slate. It usually is. Um, but I have like had a hard time coming up with favorites this year. So we're just going to talk about some that are playing towards the end of the festival. And Courtney's going to start us off. Yes. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. It's, it's tough choosing a favorite because the, the selection has been so strong. Um, I will say, though, one of the films that's definitely up there for me is a film called A Still Small Voice, um, directed by Luke Lorenzen. Um, and this film is a really fascinating look at the healthcare system. And it, it takes place uh, during the pandemic, um, 2020 and 2021. And it follows a aspiring chaplain at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Um, Margaret, or she's referred to as Maddie in the film, is a young woman who is struggling with the role of the job and also kind of her place in it, especially within a pandemic. So when you think of the healthcare systems and a lot of the problems that we have, we also didn't think of like all oh, the doctors and the nurses and how they're overworked and exhausted. But you also have these support staff like hospital chaplains that are doing a lot of the heavy work. And in this film, you see as Maddie and her colleagues are going around dealing with all types of patients, um, patients who are near death, some that have come to the hospital for one thing and end up having other problems occur, um, you know, a loss of a child during birth, and they have to be there and handle it all. And as one person says in the film, um, to, to paraphrase, you know, it's a lot of work to, to constantly be caring. And that's what their job is. So you see them as uh, you see Maddie as she's making the rounds, but also when she's in her training sessions with her fellow support residents and their supervisor and how you see the exhaustion that's coming with the long hours, the pandemic, and then just having the weight of dealing with everyone's stuff and you having to be the uplifting, inspiring voice and how that is wearing the staff down and Maddie and her supervisor. You know, and there's a great moment where they're having a discussion on how Maddie can improve and they're talking in very nice, pleasant trees, almost like psychological, um, you know, I hear you as you're saying this and I'm going to respond by, and then as the film goes on, all those pleasantries are out the window and it's just yeah. the frustration comes out and it's just a really fascinating look at the the healthcare system. And I was just captivated by it the, the entire way through. Absolutely. Me too. And um, it's really interesting how it juxtaposes her, She's she's going through compassion fatigue, like anyone in, in that kind of situation would. And that compassion fatigue is when you're just so exhausted with taking on everyone else's burden uh, and trying to help them with it, right? And so she's she's dealing with stress, but we also let's juxtapose with scenes of her with patients. And we see her giving a lot to it. And yeah, these then you have that and then you have these meetings and discussions happening. Um, and 
you know, there's a, a lot of camaraderie there and there's a lot of supporting each other. But yeah, as you say, there's th many times where things just sort of break down a bit. They try so hard, like anyone would, and you have to admire them for that, but they're human. And, and I think that's, that's just an important message from this film, you know, people in the healthcare system, people in any sort of caring system um, have to give a lot. But the message of the film is also like, but self-care is also incredibly important. Um, that's, that's stressed here uh, very much. So it's like, it's a very powerful, complicated kind of film. Yeah, and, and the last thing I will say about this film is there was a lot of talk, um, you know, as things were opening up after the pandemic about the great resignation and all these people. It was framed as like people just don't want to work anymore because they've been at home. They've gotten handouts from the government. This film, even though it doesn't directly talk about that, makes you understand why that occurs and why people are just mentally and physically exhausted, especially having to work through a pandemic and having to try and put the, your best foot forward when the world around you is, is changing and, you know, it's really exhausting. So it's, again, there's a lot of layers to this film and highly recommend it. Um, do you want to talk about one that you saw, Smoke Sauna Sisterhood? Yes, Smoke Sauna Sisterhood is another amazing film. Okay, so I'm just going to, like, tell everybody right now they're all amazing once the ones <laughs> i'm talking about and so this one uh, focuses on a smoke sauna deep in the woods uh where a group of women gather regularly and it's the same group of women and this was shot over five years and you see how this sisterhood builds in this intimate space, it, you know, sauna is an intimate space with everyone's bodies exposed and the camera does these amazing things with these shots. It's like very stark lighting because, of, yeah, you're in a sauna. But the effect of that is it pulls us in to the intimate space. And then as their conversations develop and as they share more, this is the, the incredible part of the film. They are so open and they share so much. And the, the discussions are so important, especially for women, because the female body is a place of a lot of trauma, but it's also a place of a lot of strength. And what these women show us and what this film shows us is that, you know, through engaging with this sacred space and this sacred ritual, this is like an age-old ritual in Estonia and in a lot of countries. They build a sacred space where they share so much and their collective experience. It's like, it's a healing one and it's a healing one for us as well. So this is incredible, an incredible film. And the director, Anna Hintz, she, uh, this played at Sundance and she got an award for directing. Oh, cool. Sounds very good. So the film I'm going to talk about is You Can Go Now by Larissa Barrent. And the film is a look at a Black Aboriginal artist by the name of Richard Bell. And he's essentially become one of Australia's premier artists. And part of that's because he's spent a lot of his work um, critiquing the colonization that has occurred in 
Australia. And he has essentially gone against the, the traditional art rules in Australia. So he's become very much a provocateur. And even in the film, he he refers to himself as an activist um, who does art kind of thing. And it's a, it's a really fascinating look at his life, um, also paralleled with just the history of colonization, um, especially in relation to the Aboriginal people in Australia for legacy. Like, 20th century to the 21st century and it's it's a really sweeping look but it, it also feels kind of contained and compact and which is a, a good thing and the film talks not only about bell's art and the inspirations he had and how he skillfully appropriated works by like jackson pollock and others and put a really activist spin on it and of course you know jackson pollock his famous drip star was appropriated from another culture in the first place. So it's kind of like a symbolic retribution, if you will. But it's just a really engaging look at how the Aboriginal people have endured so much in Australia and still do endure so much, but found strength, resilience, activism, um, partly from like the Black Panther movement in this in the states and just other global activism movements and you know it's a, it's a reminder that no matter where someone may be situated in the world um, you know the fight against oppression is a common theme um, and there's a lot that you can learn from other cultures in terms of helping you rise up as well and also and the last thing I'll say is this film also makes a really interesting point about Aboriginal um, based art and how popular it is like steve martin i guess is one of the biggest collectors in the world of aboriginal art which i did not know until seeing this film but for a long time in australia the work was being kind of created and celebrated but was essentially being controlled by the white community um so bell has worked you know kind of starting a grassroots organization where aboriginal artists are you know encouraged to kind of create their own art and really build up the, the voice of the community, because often, as we see with anything that's popular in art, one culture might be doing it for years. And then once a white person comes in and champions it or decides that they're going to control things, that's when it becomes successful. And we know who the money goes to. It's not the the creator. So it's, again, it's a, it's a sweeping documentary, but um, You Can Go Now is one that I would definitely recommend people see. Okay. And um, do you want to talk about theater of, of violence? I hear there might be some similar themes to You Can Go Now. Yes, in terms of colonization, except in, in mm -hmm. this case, it's how it goes way, way back to when the Europeans were colonizing uh, Africa. And this film focuses on events in Uganda and the history of Uganda. What happened in Uganda was that the Europeans sort of divided the country up without taking into account the different groups of people that were um, living in that sp space, in that area, right? And so they, they sort of like created this like Uganda, but they sort of lumped in people that didn't necessarily want to be lumped together, right? And so there's this, uh, that, that's like the foundation of a lot of the political in instability. And because of that, you've got, an unstable at the time of filming, you've got an unstable government and you've got people who want to overthrow it. And the government is not behaving in a proper way anyway. They're like 
wicked in their own way. Um, but then you've got rebel groups. So this film focuses on a former Ugandan child soldier, Dominic Ongwen, and he is on trial at the International Criminal Court for crimes against humanity. There's a number of crimes that he um, is on trial for, but things are complicated once you learn more about the case. And of course, you know, once the film starts to explain the background, like the history of Uganda and what happened was he was only nine when he was abducted by this rebel group and he was brainwashed and traumatized and then turned, he had to turn into a killing machine to survive, to sort of find a way. At least that's my reading of it. It's like to survive, you had to, because like the, the rebel group was so vicious in the way they punished anyone who they thought wasn't really, you know, act playing their part in the group. So yeah, over the years, he, he just turned into this killing machine and, so uh, he like is accused of like leading, being a leader within the group, and leading these raids and these destructive events, like creating these like um, attacks on on groups of people, and like there's killing, there's maiming, there's rape, all manner of crimes against humanity. But when you the film goes back when the lawyer for one of the lawyers for him goes back to Uganda to try and understand the context, uh, which Ongwen like grew up in, but then the context of the rebels, you start to see a more like the more complicated background of this, which is yes. So he was only nine. So he's just like, he's a kid, but also he talks to other former soldiers of this group who were also abducted as children. And you, you see a, a fuller, more complete picture. And the filmmakers, they also, when it comes to the court and the two sides, prosecution and the defense, they also fold in these sort of strategy meetings of how they're going to handle their sides in court, you know, how they're going to proceed. And so it becomes very, very complicated when you consider like, what do you do when a victim is also a perpetrator? Right? How, how do you judge that? Um, and there's this weird, really weird spiritual element because the leader of the rebel group, he had this like bizarre reinterpretation of Christianity and used that to control and manipulate everyone in his, you know, he, he added this like layer of spirituality which, which had a sort of fantastical element so that he convinced people in the group, especially the young ones, and that's how they grew up believing this, that he could control or he had ways that spirits were following them and watching what they were doing. It, it's an incredible film. Oh, wow. Very complicated. It gives you a lot to think about. Yeah. Oh, that sounds very good. Um, I'm going to talk about one that um, is slightly different in tone. It's, it's a film called Pure Unknown, um, and it was directed by Valentina Sigona um, and Matea Colombo. It's a film that looks at a particular forensic 
um, scientist, I believe she's in Italy, um, Dr. Cristina Catanino. And it's her, a lot of her work is trying to identify a lot of dead bodies and, uh, and, and link these dead bodies to missing people, uh, missing persons report. And, you know, so the last couple of years, she's really become an advocate in terms of having a, a system in Europe where all the countries in Europe share data that they have on bodies that they find, but also missing people report. So, for example, if you're in Germany and you're looking for your lost sister and you file a report with the German police, well, in Italy, they may not get that information, right? But a body washes up in Italy or is found in Italy, no identification, but it has certain, like a certain tattoo, certain rings that you identified were on the missing person, that would help solve that case. Um, With the migrant crisis that has been occurring over like, you know, the last decade or so, this type of work has become really important. And she's really pushing for this type of shared data information. And she's explaining, as you see her go from like different conferences, and she's teaching um, young forensic scientists how to do their jobs, the importance of having this type of information. So when she's not at conferences, you see her doing all this work, watching news clips, looking at reports, trying to link these bodies that um, you know they find. And there's one particular moment where they're referencing this massive ship that I guess crashed um, and it had a whole bunch of, I think it was like a thousand migrants packed into the ship. Um, and there was a whole bunch of dead bodies. And she spent like three months basically having to examine and, you know, create a database system for these people in hopes that at some point we will be able to identify them. And it's, it's a really fascinating film because Throughout it, you get hints of how the people in Europe don't, and especially political officials, don't view migrants as an issue or a problem. And if they do, it's more that they're focused on the living. You've got a flood of migrants coming in. You need to have resources to help them. But no one's thinking about, well, what about the dead? You know, the dead deserve to... um, basically have their peace and more more importantly their loved ones deserve to have the peace because they the film also draws parallels to a lot of mental health issues coming from not knowing whether a a loved one is alive or dead the depression that it causes the physical um weight you know and how it really impacts the body so it's a really fascinating film it's it's one where literally the camera just follows her around um, as Dr. Christina is doing her work. So there's no talking head interviews, similar to um, a still small voice. You're just observing everything that has occurred. And the, it, it just leaves a lot of space for you to meditate on how we view missing people, um, how we view when we hear reports of dead bodies. Like, are we really taking that in? And we, we really should be paying a lot more attention than we are. So but it's a really interesting film. And that one was called Pure Unknown. There's one that I'm actually interested to hear your thoughts on, and that one is Praying for Armageddon. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, this this film is frightening. It frightened me. <laughs> what, what this film uncovers and the way that it presents 
the information that it uncovers. And yeah, it's a documentary. It's it's not fiction. This is it, it plays out like a political thriller. But this is fact, you know, and, you know, we've all seen how evangelicals in the States have influenced American politics. But this dives more deeply into that um, to, to tell you, to show you how certain groups, certain people are interpreting the Bible, especially the book of Revelations, and using that to 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 move towards uh, creating Armageddon because Armageddon is when Armageddon happens, Jesus will come back. But these, these warriors for G they call themselves warriors and they, that's how they interpret it. They're like that Jesus needs these warriors to, to fight uh, for him. And then he will uh, take them up to heaven immediately while Armageddon plays out. And the scary thing is how they, not just what's happening in the States, but also how they tie that to Israel. And it really explains a lot of U.S. foreign policy and the foundation of it, which is coming from this evangelical view of the Bible and their desire for Armageddon. So I think you have to watch the film. It's just, it is mind boggling. Like I was watching, and there were certain points where people were saying things and I just, I just couldn't, like my jaw was dropping and I'm shaking. I was like, I cannot believe you're saying this, that you desire this, right? And, uh, and the view that you get of what's happening in Israel and the way that U.S. foreign policy has affected what's happening in Israel and influenced it. And what the, the, the great thing also is that the film talks to people in Israel. And you, so you get these like intimate points of view of how this affects people. And uh, and how they sometimes have a different opinion about things, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, so it's there's so much, there's so much. It's like political interference, the like the reinterpretation of the Bible using you know, but also how evangelical Christianity just has permeated the the political, the way that politics moves, the way that uh, the foreign policy happens, uh, and what they do in the states. Oh, that sounds very intriguing. And that one is praying for Armageddon. Um, I'm going to talk about a, I guess you could say it's a different type of politics. Um, one that I think impacts globally, but in this particular film, it really focuses on America, but a specific industry in America. And the film I'm referring to is Invisible Beauty. Um, and it's directed by... Bethann Hardison and Frederick Chen. And the film is actually about Bethann Hardison. And if you don't know Bethann Hardison, she is one of the icons in the, the fashion industry. She was a model um, who used her, you know, status and clout to really fight for diversity in the world of fashion. Um, and this is especially in a time when, it was not as popular as it is today to quote unquote embrace diversity. And she really helped usher in some of the biggest supermodels 
of of the 80s and, and 90s um, and really allowed a space for for diverse models, but specifically black models in, in, in particular. And throughout the film, she's um, Beth Ann Hardison is, you know, recounting her life and talking about, you know, how she kind of came to this place. But you also see that she's still continuing the fight in the various organizations that she's created. Um, you know, she had her own modeling agency and there's a really wonderful scene in this film that um, you see her at a panel where she's brought like the who's who of the industry. Um, directors, designers, PR people, all to try and get them on the same page in terms of moving the diversity needle forward. And this is a, a more recent example they show in the film. And still you get the pushback. You, still you get people who are all for it, but at the same time, they worry about how their image might be or, oh, can this change is happening too fast, even though this change has been being asked for like, you know, 60 years in the making kind of thing. So it's a really fascinating look at a woman who really revolutionized the fashion industry by challenging them every step of the way. And she's still challenging them to, to this day to, to be better. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite good. Now, that one's Invisible Beauty. Um, do you want to end things off on a, on a note of love? Um, you want to talk about July Talk, Love Lives Here? Yes. This is, uh, I found this an incredible experience. July Talk, you know, I've, I've always liked their music, but I didn't really know a lot about them. Um, so this is, this is definitely a film about the band, but it's about a lot more as well. So you get these intimate looks at members of the band and what hap what's happening with the band, but also there's like greater themes happening here of self-care, just caring and like spreading love, which, you know, it's spreading love sounds like, you know, one of those expressions that's overused, but it's a good thing, right? Uh, so just a, a bit about the film, July Talk, they they're a pretty high energy band and so live shows have always been really important for them and always like has helped them with build their fan base and maintain their fan base um but the film takes place when covid hits and so you know as we all remember everything ground to a halt no live music everything closed down um so what were they supposed to do they just came out with an album and they're trying to find creative solutions and they come up with one, uh, which is to try a drive-in show. And so a lot of the film is about them planning that out, the steps they have to, you know, because they have to figure out how to do it safely and they have to figure out logistics, which, you know, it sounds like it might be boring, but it actually isn't. And, and then there's a focus on band members, uh, particularly the band leaders, Leia Fay and, and Peter Germanus. It's it's their own relationship as well. It's about each person. And then there's like physical challenges that happen for all the band members. I mean, how many times do you hear people talk about burnout? Right? I mean, talk, you know, we were talking about a still small voice. That, that that's burnout, but it a burnout happens with everybody, right? As you were saying, like the, the great resignation in, in after COVID, like it was because people were exhausted. Um, but these individuals are determined, 
to maintain a, a, a lifestyle, a band sort of lifestyle that can help them like get through it. So they are practicing self-care, but they're also caring about their, their other bandmates. Um, and then, yeah, this positive message that this concert developed um, it, that you have to see it. Also, I really loved the way, the aesthetic, I loved the aesthetic, the way it was filmed. It's kind of their aesthetic, which is this sort of black and white kind of thing. Um, so that's that's what you see in the film. And so you get these moments that are very real, uh, but then there's also these more like dreamlike music video kind of things going on. And sort of, I love the way that, that the film mixes that together and it creates this really dynamic film. So yeah, I highly recommend that one too. Oh, sounds like a, a positive one, a positive film to end off on. Yes, yes, it's a good thing. Okay, so that's it for Frameline for this week. And for our coverage of the Hot Docs 2023 Festival, it's 30th anniversary. It's happening with a bang. Please go to hotdogs.ca, check it out. And yeah, there's still a lot of films to see. So a lot, oh, of, yeah. a lot, of, a lot of great films to see. Yeah, great, great films. Yeah, I'm going to end it by saying for Courtney Small, I'm Barbara Gosofsky. Thank you all for listening.